Blog Talk Radio. This is Cale Brown. Now, I didn't play a doctor on TV, but I will prescribe Brandon's buzz for absolutely anybody who wants to know what's really going on. Hey, guys, this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. This is Taylor Dane, and you are listening to the one and only Brandon Buzz. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. This is Linda Dano. I'm on Brandon's Buzz, and I have to tell you, what a fun hour I just had. Ah. This is a great kid with a wonderful heart and soul. You listen every day. I know I will. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Martin from the band Mr. Big. I'm live and kicking on Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Dave Romero, and you're going to love buzzing with Brandon's Buzz. Hey guys, welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. I am Brandon, thrilled to be back with you here and back with an absolutely fabulous lady. You know, she was here at the Buzz last fall to discuss her debut novel, A Secret in Salem, which tied in classic characters that she had actually written for years earlier on Days of Our Lives. And I so enjoyed speaking with Sherry Anderson at that time that I was ecstatic to be able to welcome her back here now that her second book in the Salem trilogy, A Stirring from Salem, is due to arrive in bookstores. Uh, A note about what you're about to hear. We taped this bright and early yesterday morning in the midst of all the news coverage surrounding a certain event in the Middle East, and though it felt supremely strange having a conversation and preparing to have a conversation about things that seem trivial in the face of these true stories that have us glued to our televisions and taking in every morsel of, of, every morsel of information, you know, I have to believe that there is a place in this world for levity and for distraction from the doom and gloom of war and its aftershocks. And if I and my show can provide even a bit of that levity, even for half an hour or so, then I take that as an honor and a privilege. And uh, Sherry, I want you to know, specifically told me that she feels exactly the same way. (laughs) So I've spent the entire morning, you know, kind of simultaneously preparing for this conversation and, and, you know, being glued to the news coverage. It feels very odd to sit here and talk about the seeming frivolity of fiction when something important is happening. Do you have any thoughts on, on last night's news? I know. Well, it's interesting because as you say that, I have to admit that I have my TV on in front of me in case there are any other uh, news reports coming through. It's something that you kind of have to do these days. And, you know, you really think about all of this, and it's so sobering. But we also realize life has to go on. But I just keep thinking about, you know, the people from 9-11, everyone who lost someone, and there's some kind of closure, I hope, for some of them. The pain will never go away, but I think for a lot of us there's at least some kind of a period on that. So that's a positive thing. You know, I, I'm not a terribly political person, and I, I get ever more cynical about it all as I grow older. You know, I think they're all a bunch of crooked fools, no matter what side of the aisle they're on. But, uh, you know, I'll, <laughs> I, I'll tell you, it felt really good last night to be an American. You know, not a Democrat, not a Republican, but an American. And, and you know, watching those, those uh, you know, jubilant celebratory flash mobs that sprung up in, in front of the White House and, and in Times Square, and I'm sure in hundreds of thousands of places last night, uh, yeah, absolutely. It made you want to go and join one somewhere. Absolutely. It was really, you know, really, really emotional. It was terrific. You know, just celebrating, unified with a sense of the American spirit, you know, no liberals, no conservatives, just people filled with the joy that a goal that we set out a decade ago to accomplish had just gotten checked off the list. 
Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting because so much of us, because of the Internet and because of, in quotes, progress, we have a tendency to isolate ourselves a little more from each other on a one-on-one basis. You know, sure. but you saw all those people standing shoulder to shoulder waving flags, and it was it was as I said, very very inspirational. And you know what's funny about about you saying that is, and I've, I've said this several times on this show when when you think of Facebook and Twitter and all all these things, you know, you'd think that that it brings us closer together, and in some ways it does, but in other ways it 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 makes it even easier for us to to isolate from each other. It's sort of the thing that, in a sense, has been happening to the soaps in that it used to be that everybody sat around the television set together and watched. Now, whether everybody's off on their own rooms doing things or, you know, out with their cell phones and not having that interaction with their families, I think that's one of the, the reasons some of the soap audience, well, we all know that's one of the reasons the soap sure. audience has eroded, you know. So with progress, sometimes there comes some setbacks as well, and that's I think that's happened. Anyway, there is a place for levity in the world, and, and now yes. more than ever probably, and so we're going to settle in here and try to distract ourselves for a spell with some fun talk about soaps and books and love in the afternoon. Oh, yeah, well, that's always a good thing, too. <laughs> yeah, you know, as I say, you, it, you have to have those things. Everybody always Absolutely. has. No question you about have it. to have distractions. No you know, we have to thank God we have them still. <laughs> You know, it, it was so funny to get your email last week because I was going to email you back in February. I thought the book was coming out in March, and so I was going to mm-hmm. email you in February and and uh, first ask you if you wanted to come back, and you know, second tell you what an amazing job I thought Melissa had been doing on One Life to live with all the oh, wedding stuff and all the reveals. I know, and, hasn't she been fantastic? I just thought she was incredible <laughs> through all those episodes. You know, maintaining that level of emotion and you know, it's really tough, especially the especially the way they film these days. I mean, it's 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 almost impossible for an actor to really you know get in there and dig their teeth and into that material, and, and uh, so I was going to tell you how incredible she was doing, and then I, I found out that the book wasn't coming until May, and so I decided to wait, and then, as I told you, I'm not sure where the hell April went to, so it was it was really a thrill to get your email last week, and I'm Oh, I'm well, as I said, I, I, so en- I so enjoyed our interview before, and, you know, as you always I. have so many good things to say, and <laughs> so I just wanted to touch base. Yeah, as far as the books are concerned, you know, what we had decided to do was space them out a little more, which was what the whole reason was, have the second one coming around near... Mother's Day, which is where we are now, a lovely time to celebrate, and then the, the next no one is scheduled to come out at the end of the year. So, you know, as I said, it's a it's an exciting thing to do. It's a lot of fun. I still have writer's block. I say that sometime if you look at the acknowledgments in, in book two, you know, I said, thank God that my husband can make it through those periods of writer's block, because they're not fun for anybody, <laughs> you know, but uh, at the same time, because, you know, you, you really want to satisfy the audience. And also, or the reader in this case, and also satisfy yourself. So, you know, I don't know if you've written any head of fiction, anything like that, but it's it's an interesting, it's it's so rewarding, but it also can be pretty daunting, uh, you know, at some time. So it's interesting. And I in the second book, and I've said this before, you know, it was coming off of, I had had a lot of loss in around me, whether it was pets or family members. And so there was a lot of sadness I was putting into that book in the beginning, and I had whoop, I had to go back and kind of change that because suddenly it was really cathartic for me, but I wasn't so sure how it would be for people who were reading it, you know. But I think I came up with a pretty good balance. I don't know if you've had a chance to read the second book, but it's very different than the first one, and, you know, a lot of people like it better than the first one, so I like that. So it's it's a stirring in Salem. It's a, the second book in the trilogy, and what a fabulous title. Set this up for us. Well, it's really a stirring from Salem, and actually the setup of the whole thing is, we changed that, by the way. People have said, hmm, I thought it was a stirring in Salem, and I said, well, I, I did too. Yeah, the truth was that was the name in the beginning, but since these books are mostly taking place outside of the city itself, 
we basically thought it's a kind of a good idea to not confuse the reader. But, you know, the whole concept of this book was trying to follow both John and Marlena and Charlie as to what would be the next logical and emotional moves for those characters in particular. And, you know, it was very interesting because I try to address the characters that the fans are missing. And because Patch and Kayla were so, so important, not only to me, but the fans, I really felt that that was a place to explore. And with them in South Africa at the time, I had actually done a couple of projects in South Africa. I did an international soap opera development project, and then I also did a feature film. And I was down there two years in a row, and I love the country so much, and it's so rich, that I really took them all down there to interact with Patch and Kayla with with a pretty pretty dynamic story going behind it involving rhino poaching in South Africa, which is a huge, huge issue right now, and which I had done a lot of research on. And it's very interesting to try to, to have the backdrop of all of this beauty and wonder and glory with the unspeakable things that go on there. So it was really kind of an exploration for me, and to see, as I said, where it took John and Marlena, where it took Patch and Kayla, and Charlie and Jackson, and some of the characters that were introduced in book one. The book one, as you recall, was very, I don't want to say frothy, because there was a lot of deep issues going on there with with the death of Olivia, and also with the Madoff scandal. But at the same time, there was a lot of glamour and glitz in it. And while there also is that in the second book, the second book is really very intimate, because when you're in South Africa, as I was a couple of times, it's really you with nature and you really getting in touch with yourself. So, as I said, it was a very different exploration for me as I was writing those characters. And as I said, I really was pleased. And, you know, then you have to have action adventure and you have to have, you know, romance and sex and love and conflict <laughs> and humor. And sometimes when you're dealing with issues, it's hard to say where's the humor in the whole thing. But, yes, there are funny characters in it because, actually, Charlie goes down to South Africa on a modeling shoot as a photographer, and things kind of get turned upside down in her life, and she finds somebody pretty exciting and lovely down there. So, you know, it's a good romance, it's a good uh, adventure, and, as I said, it's a nice intimate portrayal, I think, of these characters. You know, it's funny what you say about nature in South Africa. I have a friend who went down there a couple years ago on a safari, and, you know, he came back with some great pictures and great stories, and, and... you know, he said that 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 the reality of the experience is so dramatically different from what you think it's going to be when you go, and and mm-hmm. you, you're not even sure that you can explain fully why it's different, but it it just is, and and it sounds like you had a similar experience with that. Yeah, it's absolutely true because you know what happens is you kind of get a sense when you see it on TV or you see things, you get a sense of you're really close with the animals or you see really close shots a lot of times of the foliage and all that. And in truth, my husband, when I was down there, he called and he said, oh, what's it like? Because he wasn't able to go. Unfortunately, I had to work. And um, so I brought Lawrence Zarian with me, actually. And he said, what's it like? And I said, it's like Santa Barbara. <laughs> he went, what? What do you mean it's like Santa Barbara? And it really is. I mean, it has that real, you know, and I, I do a lot of writing now up in Santa Inez, as you probably know, up at a friend's ranch up there. And it's got that same sort of pastoral thing going for it, but in the midst of all that, you have this nature that is very dangerous. You know, it's not, you have to understand that these are animals that will kill you, (laughs) you know. 
So you have to really, really check yourself because we're so accustomed here to just being able to do whatever we want, and you really can't do that there. You have to honor nature and honor that. And so as I said, it's you can spend three days on a safari, and it's like being gone for a year. <laughs> it's fantastic. And were you able to have fairly close contact with the animal, with the with the leopards, or with you know the ant, the elephants, or whatever, or or did you keep a distance? I personally kept as much distance as I could, but the thing is, it's not really true. I mean, I remember being in a you know in one of the Land Rovers or Range Rovers, whatever they are, and you know suddenly you come in and there were like 300 buffalo right in front of us, right around the jeep, and you're wow. sitting there and they just say, "Don't move, don't make any." So we'll just sit and watch. You might sit there for an hour just watching them and being in the midst of the calm and the fear at the same time. You know, it's it's a real interesting dichotomy when you're down there. Sure. So, you know, or you'd, you know, you wake up in the morning and I'm looking and I'm thinking, what is that noise? And you look outside your window, literally right outside the window, there's an elephant standing there eating stuff off the top of the trees. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's very, very weird. So You, you don't, don't see that in Santa Barbara? No, you don't go up and pet them. No, no. Because people do get killed. I mean, you know, as I said, I was just talking to a friend of mine who's down there. She's a ranger and, you know, somebody the day before that went out and got eaten by a lion. And you'd think, wow. oh, <laughs> oh. And what I say in the book, and it's true, what happens down there is the rangers and everyone get upset with you because it's not the animal's fault that they ate you. It's your fault that they, you went out there. And actually, then they usually have to kill the animals once they've tasted human blood. So they're not too crazy about the fact that people are careless. You know, it's more your fault. It's not the animal's fault. So that's why you have to really be aware of what you're doing. You know, it's kind of like it's it's along the same lines as that poor woman that was killed by the, the uh, was it the humpback whale at Sea World? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. everybody was blaming the an- the animal was doing what the animal does. It's just like the tiger exactly. that. That attacked uh, Siegfried and Roy and during their yeah. show. I mean, the tiger was just doing what the tiger does, and so it's yeah. No, it's absolutely true. But you really, you really do get it down there. <laughs> you know, they they pretty instill that in you. You're sitting, you know, at six in the morning in a freezing cold in a jeep, like, oh, okay, when can I go to the bathroom and where? And they're like, well, the bushes are right over there. Oh, okay, and that's how it is. So it's really kind of sobering. Let's just mm. say. So you referenced this a while ago. Secret had kind of a rip from the headlines feel to it. I mean, there was a lot going on, but it all kind of happened under this umbrella of a Bernie Madoff type swindler. Right. And it sounds like you tried to chart a similar path for stirring in terms of, you know, taking something that's going on in the world and using the natural drama of that to to spin stories from. Yes, I did, and I, because for me, I don't know. I I just feel it. It feels more real because it is real. And the third book actually. Scandal from Salem is actually going to be taking place in Los Angeles and Hollywood. And so, you know, there are interesting things that go on in the world. We used to do this when we were writing the show, though, however. You know, you're watching the news and say, wow, that would be a good story. You know, that's something that the audience would really relate to because you want to be somewhat topical. But then you also want to do things that aren't so time-specific that, you know, somebody picks up this book a year from now, they're not going to be able to relate to a Bernie Madoff scandal. People do relate to that because of the dynamics of, you know, what it was really about was people getting, you know, having their life savings ripped from them and, you know. And there are always those type of scams going on and always There's those. always that always going on. And South Africa, interestingly enough, when I went down there 12 years ago and was working on this one project, you know, rhino poaching was, there would be like 200 rhinos killed a year or whatever. 
Now it's like 4,000. In the last couple of years, it's one of the worst scandals that they've had. And what are they killed for, do you know? A lot of it is because of the rhino horn. And really, they've determined that it actually has no medicinal value. It's kind of like your fingernails. Still, the Chinese, especially Chinese medicine, uh, a lot in Vietnam right now, and then are for ornamental things. And the prices are just astronomical. So, you know, there's so much money to be made that, I mean, one of the facts that I use in the book is that last year, the head of security for South Africa, who actually was, I think, the head of the United Nations, he was arrested for taking money, you know, for bribery. And he was kicked out. He was, you know, the president of the United Nations. And so suddenly, you know, you'd say, oh, how do you stop this? It's really hard to know how to do that. But obviously it has a lot of implications for a lot of people. So, you know, as I said, I, I think when you read the book, and I hope you do, I think you'll find those things pretty fascinating. But, you know, those are really sort of in the background because really it's the love stories and the relationships that are really most critical. And do we pick up for more secret left off, or are we kind of starting fresh here? It's six months later, but it's really trying to follow through. You know, that book really took place at the end of last summer, and this one really kind of picked up around New Year's. But there's a lot in London. There's a lot still in Switzerland with John and Marlena. You know, but interestingly enough, you know, Jack and Jennifer, when I was originally writing it, they were together in this book. And I suddenly I went, oops, <laughs> on the show. And, you know, for me, some fans have said they don't really care if it conflicts with what's on the air. I still like to make it as compatible as possible. Sure. But I as you said on the show, I mean, people who pick up the book in five years' time aren't really going to know what was going on. Yeah. Exactly. And, and the other thing, too, is like, when they're released in England and in South Africa, which is another market. And interestingly enough, I did not know that when I decided to put it in South Africa. I remember when I was in South Africa, I kind of tell the story that Days was on. I was in my room one morning, and at the time, Teo Penglis and I were also writing a couple of screenplays together. And I woke up in the morning and I heard, where are you? What are you doing? And I looked up and it was Teo on screen talking to whomever. And I was like, oh my gosh, he's following me all over the world. But I hadn't really realized, you know, that that South Africa is such a large market for the show when I was writing this. But they'll pick it up, you know, a year from now perhaps, and they who knows where they'll be on the show as far as as what's on air. So yeah, it doesn't. It's not critical. I'm such a proponent of trying to be true to the character and true Absolutely. to the story and true to the history of the show that you know something I I'm trying to fight for. So we were all thrilled to see Bell and Sean and John and Marlena in in the first book. And you mentioned Patch and Kayla, and you mentioned Jennifer and Jack. Can you tell us what other classic Days characters turn up in Stirring? Shane and Kim. Okay. As I said, Abby. And again, interestingly there, you know, Abby was, uh, she has a pretty heavy story in book two, and then I suddenly she was on the show, so I kind of adjusted, you know, that as well, so that it kind of made sense. And, you know, those are the basics. Bill Horton has a big role in this book. Because, you know, Bill actually r- runs the clinic down in South Africa, and I actually, I'd never seen a name for it. So I actually named the clinic the Tamale Clinic, T-O-M-A-L-I, after Tom and Alice. Oh, wow, because okay. Because of wanting to, again, cool. honor, you know, honor the characters that were so critical in the formation of all of the story. No doubt. So, you know, it's that kind of thing that I think you still see it and you touch those things. And, of course, they talk to people back in Salem and things like that. But really, as far as the main characters, it's John and Marlena and Patch and Kayla and Joe. Joe's down there 
because you know, he's a little kid. So uh, he's with his parents, which is a good thing. It was a lot of fun for me to write. And again, Google becomes your best friend and fans become Absolutely. friends because you want to say, does this work? Does this make sense? Does this resonate? What have you missed of these people? What do you want to see? Somebody just told me, I was speaking to yesterday, they said I, they so appreciate it as an example, seeing or reading John calling Marlene a doc, you know, and Patch calling Kayla sweetness. You know, it's minor things that they said, suddenly I felt like those were the people I knew, those were the characters I knew. So, you know, I, as I said, I try to address that without disturbing too much of, <laughs> of the fabric of what's going on. You know, uh, I'll tell you what I like about soap fans is that generally they'll tell you exactly what they think. Oh, yeah. I know you went on a pretty extensive book tour with Deidre and Drake and, you know, some of the stars to promote your book and the and the coffee right. table book. Uh, what kind of fan reaction have you gotten or did you get to the first book? You know, the fan reaction was terrific. I mean, it was very interesting because, of course, when you read on, um, let's say on Amazon.com, and, yes, we do read reviews that get posted up there, you know, and you'll see ten fantastic reviews and somebody goes, no, nah, I didn't really like it. I didn't think the writing style was good. And you're like, what? I everybody hated this book. You know, most people, there were a lot of people that didn't know that the books existed, and they were pl- pleased to learn that because they want to touch base with some of these characters, and they like to, you know, put something in their hand. You know, this book promotion right now that starts this week in which you can get, actually you can get the first ebook for free if you don't have it. You can even get it again for free if you want. Um, and the second book is just $1.99 for the ebook for one week, and, you know, it's really to get people, make people aware of it and see what's going on there. But people like to hold it and look at it and read it. You bet. You know, and I would I would hope people would get the ebook and the paperback, you know, because suddenly you can carry that with you and take a glance here and there, which is a little daunting because, you know, you know it's, I, I always say, you know, when you wrote a show, usually it would go away, kind of, you know. People watch it and then it goes away. But with a book, people, yes. somebody is, people have read this book three or four times. Some people, wow the first one, so that's very flattering because I really had maybe one or two people all in, in the whole thing that said, mm, I didn't quite get it, but everybody else has been so supportive. And just thinking that it's a good read for somebody even who's not a fan of the show. Sure. Which is sort of what my goal was, too, so it's not just you know limited to Days of Our Lives fans. If you haven't read the first book, are you going to be lost if you pick up the second book, or, or no. have you designed it in a way that you can jump right in and, and know what's going on? You jump right in, and that was sort of an interesting thing for me, too, uh, when you bring that up, because in the beginning I was thinking, do I need to over-explain? You know, how much should I explain? Sure. And actually, the editor at Sourcebooks, you know, he would say, you might want to expand on that just a bit for anybody who hasn't seen it, but I really made sure that it didn't bore you to death, you know, that, that whatever information was in book one when it appeared in book two, it was very natural either in the dialogue or in the description so that it didn't feel like you were being hit over the head and the people would go, I already know this. You know, you don't need to tell me again. But again, like we so do that, with soap sometimes. Yeah. That's not, you don't have to keep repeating the same thing. <laughs> no. So I really tried to do it that way, you know, so that it really is a standalone book. And so did any of the feedback that you got on your tour or, you know, uh, reading reviews or, or what have you, did any of that affect the way you set up books two and three in the trilogy, or, or not really? Not really, because I kind of had this vision. You know, I am I would love the trilogy to be whatever is more than a trilogy. love to have, you know, more, you know, after this. But it only thing that it did was make me aware that people are really reading it. <laughs> so really making sure of not cheating them. That's how that impacted me. But again, it was just very flattering 
And it's so nice to see people that are actually reading. Absolutely. You know, people coming through and being excited about it and not you you have a tendency or I have a tendency to think it's an older readership, but there were a lot of teenagers and 20-year-olds that were excited to read that. So you mentioned this promotion. Do you have to go to a specific website to get this deal or this this dollar ninety nine deal, well, or is from, it available? No, from what I understand, what I've been told is it's really all of the major online booksellers. So it's Amazon. I understand it's Apple. I think Barnes I and Noble. You know, Books a Million, DaysInsider dot com. You can go to pretty much any any of the online booksellers, and they should have it. And then I assume you'll be in Barnes and Noble and Borders and Sam's Club again as well, or. Yeah, in terms of the physical book. Yes, and then the physical book also, this one is supposed to be in Walmart as well. Fantastic. Which should be good. You know, the thing is, as they say, when it's a series, you know, it's kind of interesting that people, when there's just one book, people can have a tendency to overlook it, but when there's suddenly start to be two and three and you kind of get a sense of more of what's going on, you know, poor places pick them up, etc. But, you know, it's obviously we want to sell as many as we can so that we can keep them going. It's like the show I keep saying to people. The shows go off the air because people stop watching them. <laughs> they don't go off the air because the writing is bad or the story is bad or they don't like the actors. It's because people aren't watching them, so they're not making money. So, you know, as I keep saying, keep your TV on. You know, <laughs> just keep watching these things. DVR them. Let people know that you might not care about the show that particular day, but you care about the show. That's important, and that's like with the books. If people buy the books, then there'll be more books. If people nobody buys them, then they'll go away. So it's you know it's all about. Unfortunately, when we say the bottom dollar, but it's about if people care. You know, you reference the the uh, shows going off the air. The the already fragile soap world has been rocked to its core in the past month or so. And, and yes, I'm not asking for for uh, tales out of school here, but I know that you've got boots on the ground over at One Life to Live, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you comfortable telling me anything? And if you are, what can you tell me about the mood over there? The only thing I can say is that the mood, both, you know, and I, Days of Our Lives is also interesting because that show is still on the air, but still, oh, as you say, been, anytime something like this... They've been dogged by rumors like this, for years and years and years now. Yeah, and that's why it was very, very interesting because Days of Our Lives a, a year ago, two years ago, they were going off the air, they were going off the air, they were going off the air. And God bless, as I said, whether it was Gary who managed to really pull this thing together and get it at a budget that could be supported, they were still able to pull it together. With One Life to Live and All My Children, I don't think people had warning. I don't think people really said, oh, a year from now you're going to be off the air unless you're watching now and we've got these shows in the pipeline. That's why it was such a shock. I mean, poor Susan Lucci, who was going out four days before and saying it's absolutely untrue, um, and then that day, boom, she heard it five minutes beforehand. The mood is, it depends on who it is, because I know some people are very, well, when you say devastated by it, obviously, and then there are others that say, well, this is, might be the impetus I need to be expanding my career, to be doing other things. So everybody, I think, is surprised, shaken in some way, but then stirred to do other things. As I said, nobody likes to lose any shows. It just makes you makes you want to cry. You know, uh, again, I'm not looking for tales out of school here, but when you were here last fall, you, you talked about working with now ABC Daytime head Brian Franz, who is being vilified online right now for his recent moves. Yes. You know, yes. I, I'm not looking to badmouth anyone here. I'm really not. But, you know, we're hearing these stories leaking out, and who knows how many of them are true and how much of how many of them are true. But, you know, we're hearing stories and rumors and reports about what has become his contempt for the genre of soap opera. And I'm 
I'm having a lot of trouble reconciling that in my mind because I remember when he was running NBC in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he never had a lineup that set the ratings on fire or was considered hip and cool the way ABC's was back then. But, you know, he had days which built up arguably the most devoted, most impassioned fan base in the history of television, much less soaps. And he had Another World, which was and remains a classic. And he had Santa Barbara, which was, you know, completely off the wall and irreverent, but but was his prestige show. I mean, you know, this was an extraordinary lineup, and it was shepherded by a man who clearly loved and respected the soap form. And so I... Yeah, I, as I said, I, I haven't spoken to Brian. The thing is, when I worked with him, he loved soaps. You bet. He was an excellent storyteller no and an excellent guardian of the, of the genre. So, as I said, I haven't spoken to him. I try not to look at all of the things vilifying him because I think, you know, it's sort of like you look at the president of the United States. You, you know, bet. when things aren't going well, everybody hates them. And suddenly something good but happens. But all of a sudden this morning everybody's behind him again. It's, it's so funny. Yeah, fun. everybody's like, oh, yes, here we go. You know, this is fantastic. So, you know, as I said, the only comment I can make is really that the Brian Franz I worked with loved the soaps and I think would be very saddened at, you know, having to lose two more. So... The great success of The View, is that the worst thing that ever happened to daytime in some respects? No, it was the O.J. trial. That was the worst thing that happened to daytime. <laughs> no, that's what did it, you know, because it really got people looking different directions. And then it's really the Internet, and it's it's reality TV is just as much, in my opinion right now, is taking the audience as, as much as something like The View, you know, because people can have really, really... They just have to have a short attention span to get something pretty shocking, you know, from reality TV that you used to, that's where you would go. You'd go to soaps to find that stuff years ago. And now you can just find it everywhere. So, no, I don't. And as I said, it's funny. I still remember The View when it came on, and I remember thinking, this isn't going to (laughs) work. I was wrong. I've been wrong before, and I was wrong about that. I think the problem is it's just hard to keep replicating it. You know, it's so funny you, you you say that. Last time you were here, we talked about Survivor and that element of surprise. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, I'll tell you that One Life has been my show forever. I started watching that show in 1988 when I was 12 years old, oh. and I just never stopped. But, you know, I'll tell you, I watch Celebrity Apprentice every week. I never miss that show. It's my favorite show on television. Wow, okay. And, you know, I'm contributing to the downfall of America, and I freely admit it. <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, I watch that show, and I literally can't wait to see what's going to happen next, and who's going to get, who's going to win, who's going to go off on a diatribe, who's going to get fired. You know, I'm, I'm dying to see what's next on that show. And I, I watch One Life, not so much because I'm dying to see what what's next the way I used to uh, when I started, but you know, because those people in Landview, Vicky and Nora, Natalie, Brody, right. Bo, Blair, those people are like my friends, and I, I love to spend that hour with my friends, and I have this great feeling that. A great many of the fans who have held on to the bitter end here, they've held on for exactly that reason. I think that's definitely the case. And I've you know, I've always said this. It's like you can you have friends and family that you can gossip about and that you can criticize <laughs> and that you can do you know and you can laugh at and Damn right. it doesn't hurt anybody, you know. And you also it gives you an instant connect with so many other people because there were so many fans, especially with days of our lives. You can pretty much go anywhere in the world, and if Days of Our Lives comes up, you've got an immediate connect with somebody. Sure. It's like you all have the same, you're all in the same click, you know. So suddenly you have a point of conversation and you have a point of experience. In life, the person who's most important to you really are your siblings because they experience life with you. They have the same basic life experiences. 
That's the same thing as watching a soap. You have the same experiences with those people. You know what they're doing. You've known them for years, and if you meet somebody else, they've had that same life experience with them. So it really gives you, a, as I said, a point of connection. You know, I just, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of this genre, as I'm sure you can tell, and I pray that if these cancellations can indeed be a teachable moment for the four remaining soaps, it is that those soaps learn that they've got to go back to a place of understanding that we watch television to be surprised, to be riveted, to be entertained, to be engaged, and, you know, we have too many other viable choices and other venues to accomplish that, to waste our time on shows, any shows, that do none of the above. Yeah, and as I said, I, I'm not really watching those other shows, so I can't comment, but I just hope that, yeah, I hope that the genre survives because, you know, and I don't know if Brian had said something about he thought that they were, you know, that it was past their time. I thought I saw that somewhere, which does surprise me, and I really would doubt that he would say that because I think that there has got to be a way that people care about this stuff. They do. There are stories on shows that we, as I mean, I still, you know, have people will write and say, as an example, Shane and Kim, you know, that the Kim story was very, very important to them because they had been abused as a child and that meant something to them sure. and they took that away. So it's not just about the hijinks. It's really about the human drama that we can learn something. When Luke raped Laura, we talk about that, you know, in General Hospital and that was the first time date rape had really then been addressed. Yeah. Yes, there had been rape on shows before, but there was not really the exploration of two people who knew each other well and, and what happened and, and the ramifications for that, those are important things. That was a takeaway for people. Not I, just, I remember you know, when, you and, you, when you and Tom were at Another World and you were there just for a short time, but, mm-hmm. but you guys started one of the very first AIDS storylines for daytime, for television. Yeah, yes. Those things were so important, and we were, unfortunately, we didn't stay because of the writer's strike at that time. But, yeah, you know, those things are, as I said, those are important. That's why in the books, again... In the first book, dealing with the Madoff scandal and all of that, and then in the second book, dealing with the huge issues, and it's more than just the rhino poaching. It also involves, you know, the clinic. So, you know, there's a lot of health issues in South Africa that are being dealt with. Again, we talk about AIDS, thank God, you know, that that the tide is kind of turned on some help. You know, people now, it's, it's not an immediate death sentence as it was all those years ago. But to be able to address those while at the same time entertaining people, you hope they'll he said, get something out of that, you know. That's my goal anyway. <laughs> so what's on the horizon for Sherry Anderson? Are you are you going on tour with this book as well? At the moment, they're really concentrating on the coffee table book. So okay. I'm not really sure what will be happening as far as uh, appearances on this book. I would love to. If people want to see me, want the book, then they should actually, you know, write in to Days 45 online to see what's going on there. But at the moment, I I think, yes, I will be going on some other cities, but it's not in the pipeline at the moment. But I'm hoping to get to some of the cities that I've not been able to go to yet, like Toronto I would love to go to, Vancouver, San Francisco. But it looks like there's going to be, you know, on this weekend, both, I guess, it's I think it's Dallas and Denver, there are going to be appearances by people signing the coffee table book, so that's something that people should go to as well. Very cool. Well, if you come to Austin, I, I hope you look me up. I would love to. Are you ever in California? <laughs> you know, I, I make it out there about once a year usually, usually around uh, New Year's or just after. I usually make it out there for a couple of days. Uh, well, listen, I hear Austin is a fantastic city. It is fabulous. It's supposed to really, really be wonderful. 
but as a you know as a Los Angeles native, I'm kind of partial <laughs> to California. But yeah, we'll have to figure out how to get together at some point. But Absolutely. I still enjoy everything you always have to say and offer and ask, and I appreciate your support so much. <laughs> likewise, my dear. Likewise. And I want to thank the spectacular Sherry Anderson one more time. And I want to tell you that the second book in the Salem trilogy, A Stirring from Salem, is due in bookstores this week. And as she said, the e-book is available at Amazon, it's available at iTunes, it's available at any one of 100 uh, e-book online retailers. And it's available this week on sale for only $1.99 through Sunday night. So from now through Sunday, you can get the e-book of A Secret in Salem for absolutely free, no charge, and A Stirring from Salem, the second book, for only $1.99. So for $1.99, you get two books of absolutely fabulous, soapy entertainment uh, provided by the fabulous Sherry Anderson. And and uh, I thank her one more time for popping in here and spending some time with me. And I thank you guys for listening. Brandon's Buzz comes to a close for Tuesday, May 3rd, 2011. If you're already listening, then you already know how to find the show. But in case you don't, three places online, blogtalkradio.com. That's B-L-O-G-T-A-L-K radio.com slash Brandon's Buzz is really home base for this show. From there, you can listen to the show. You can listen to old episodes of the show. You can see what's coming up on the show. You can leave comments. You can send emails. It really is home base for this show. And again, it's blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. You can also find me at my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. There at the top of every page at brandonsbuzz.com is a, is a uh, blue button marked radio. You click that button, that takes you to a full radio archive of every episode of this show. This is episode number 80. This and all previous 79, all available uh, in the radio archive at brandonsbuzz.com. That's my blog. You can also find me at iTunes, guys. Right along Sherry Anderson's ebook. Just type Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes Music Store search box. Scroll down to the podcast section. Click on my logo. From there, you can uh, uh, download individual old episodes of the show as podcasts for playback on the device of your choosing, or you can subscribe to the show and have new episodes automatically download to your library the minute they're uploaded to the music store. So I'm all over. I'm on iTunes. I'm on Go. I'm on uh, Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Google the words Brandon's Buzz, and something will pop up that points you in my direction. And as always, I appreciate you guys coming in my direction. I appreciate you guys finding me and listening to me, and hope you continue finding and listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi, everybody out there. This is Eileen Kristen, and I have just been on Brandon's Buzz. This is a great show and a very sophisticated mind. So spread the word, Brandon's Buzz. This is Claire Massey from Tammy Show, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Great guy. Great show. Check hey it out. Hey, guys. This is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi. This is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. So if you feel that you just can't take it, and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it. Baby, when you live on a street of dreams. Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon's Buzz, the place to be. Hi, everybody. This is Nicholas Walker. Merci à vous tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir et à très bientôt. <laughs> <laughs> 